Yes, so finally, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the PH Journals podcast. And man, it's been some trying times and it's been frustrating, I'm sure, for most of us out there. And uh, yeah, I'm just so stoked to be back. And uh, I've realized that there hasn't been enough excuses out there for me to use, but it's um, it's gotten to this point where I've had to make do with what I've got and uh, hopefully... Yeah, unfortunately for the first episode we don't have any guests, but I've decided what I'm going to be doing is doing a series every Sunday um, and just highlighting some of the facts and things that are happening in and around our beautiful country and um, as far as hunting related stories are concerned. And uh, yeah, just to update everyone and yeah, so there, unfortunately on the Sunday episodes there won't be any guests, but I'll try and get as many guests in um as possible just to chat about certain scenarios that have happened over the last couple of months uh, in these trying times so guys um yeah before we get into it um i've just got to highlight uh, one important issue at the moment and uh, as far as south africa is concerned it, it's a devastating farm murders that have played our country over the last couple of months or a couple of years actually um, but it's got really bad lately, and uh, yeah, from from the PH Journal side, we're in full support of our farmers. Um, they are the lifeline of this magnificent country, and uh, they feed us. And you know, if it wasn't for them, you know, a lot of us, like myself, wouldn't be where we are at the moment. And what's happening, whether it be political, racial, whatever the case may be, um, it's frustrating. Uh, it's heartbreaking. And it's devastating to see. So just just some of the facts that has happened over the last couple of years. From 2015 to 2019, there were only 54 to 74 farm murders recorded. Now, I say only uh, because the numbers I'm about to give you are staggeringly high compared to then. Just in the first quarter of this year, we have recorded more than 29 farm murders and 194 farm attacks. It's sad. Um, it really is, no matter what the scenario is, no matter what the motive is, it's it's devastating and it's and it's impacting our economy, it's impacting our farmers and uh, it really isn't good. So from a PH journal, um, from my side, I fully support our farmers and yeah, we need to do whatever we can. So, so guys, you'll see over the last couple of weeks, I have posted uh, my logo and embedded in my logo, I've had... Um, a sort of another little logo uh, placed just to the side of it, which just resembles unity. Um, and then obviously the crop and the fork and the spade in the middle uh, represents our our farmers. So stronger together. Um, I would like you guys to share, take a moment in your day just to have a little prayer for the guys back here in South Africa. They they really, really are struggling. It's, it's terrible to see what's been happening to them and their families. And uh, yeah, the whole idea is not to create financial uh, gains or publicity or anything like that. It's purely just to make the rest of a w- the world aware of what's happening. And it's, it's it really is hurting. And uh, yeah, my thoughts and prayers to God to all the lo- loved ones that have been lost over the last couple of years. And um, yeah, stay strong and my support's with you guys. Cool guys, well, um, first episode of the podcast wouldn't be possible without the following. Um, Trees and Camo, uh, yes, you guys would have seen in my latest YouTube videos, I've 
posted. Uh, I've been using the treason for a couple of months now, and man, oh man, what a magnificent set of cameras I've got. And fortunately, now we get the best of both worlds in South Africa. We get the early season and late season. Uh, so uh, yeah, head around to the website treason.co.za um, and pick up your camera, guys. It's it really is worth it, and, and it's magnificent. Like I said earlier in some of my podcasts. We've got devilish um, uh, acacia trees, and uh, not many, not not much clothing item can stand up to those trees. And trees, and have definitely, besides the blending and all that sort of stuff, that they do outstandingly. The 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 durability of them has been incredible, and I'm so stoked to be a part of the team. Next up, uh, I use these guys when I hunt a lot, uh, especially as a second skin option, um, banana skins. They uh, they really, I've, I've been using them when I was playing rugby and I use them in the bush uh, just to keep me, you know, just to have that extra little base layer underneath us. And uh, especially when you're walking a lot, you like to have the ski pants on for the chafe. So uh, yeah, uh, banana skins, fantastic brand. So proud to be a part of them. And uh, they're definitely growing as far as the outdoor sector is concerned. But as well as the sporting stuff as well. Um, yeah, guys, and then finally, uh, last but not least, um, Maxxis tires. Uh, I've been using the Razor Mud Terrains now, the mining application, and yes, I must say, it's been outstanding. They're one of the quietest mud terrain tires I've ever used. And, you know, especially for your long trips, uh, when you've got clients and stuff like that in your pickup, you want it to be comfortable. You don't want it to be unbearable and stuff. And Maxxis have really delivered a brilliant tire to keep the noise levels down and as well as just ride comfort. Besides the performance in the bush and stuff like that, it's the smaller things for myself and I'm sure most of us PHs out there that count and, and make a lasting impression. And for <laughs> if traveling from one spot to another is one of them, then Maxxis definitely deliver. And then just... <clears throat> Lastly, a quick heads up, uh, just a big thank you to my mom, my brother, my beautiful wife and my daughter. Just thanks so much for all the support. I would just like to thank everyone back home that's followed me on Instagram, YouTube, that's subscribed, um, that's done a whole bunch of things. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for you guys. So truly, I truly am grateful for everything you guys do. So without further ado, let's get into it. Episode 1, Post Lock. Hey guys, cool. So, um, yeah, I'm so stoked to be beyond the mark again. Uh, it's offered me some opportunity just to give you guys a little bit of update as far as where the industry is sitting at the moment and um, yeah as far as where myself personally am going and where I want to be and yeah it's it's been trying times for all um, so those of you that are watching me on YouTube uh, thank you so much for tuning in and you'll see I'll be wearing my new PS Journals merchandise um, I've paired up with Redbubble uh, for the overseas market for the time being until my website is launched. So my website is based pretty much around 
the side hustle as far as hunting is concerned. So, um, yeah, I'm proud to announce that hopefully it's taken a lot longer than expected, but hopefully in the next couple of weeks we will be launching PH Toolbox. And uh, you can go around there and find all your hunting necessities. It will be from uh, how you get your rifle into the country to what you need for on your next African safari. And then far as, as far as the retail side is concerned, there will be all uh, products that I'll be using in the bush um, during my hunting excursions and stuff uh, to promote and just try and test it you know i'm not going to put anything on the website that i haven't tried and tested myself because i believe in quality and i believe that south africa as far as in hunting industries we've come a long way and uh we need to iron out all the guys that are all the chance takers and stuff and and put out there the proper quality that we deserve and that we need to start respecting so um yeah that's my idea behind ph toolbox i'm so excited about it um, you'll see there it's got a pH program where you can actually support your very own pH uh, in South Africa. Um, this is all just based around something that the lockdown and COVID-19 has taught me is that I think as an industry, um, as a profession, we've become a little bit complacent and it's hurt us a lot now because we haven't had that income, our main income, and it's taught a lot of us to actually start preparing side hustles so um i know there's a lot of guys out there that have have already put systems in place um, to combat these sort of things but i also know there's a lot of guys out there that don't have the facilities to do these things so i'm hoping the ph toolbox creates a platform where phs and hunters and uh, safari enthusiasts camping enthusiasts just basic outdoor guys as well just head along support one another and just create an atmosphere and, you know, where you're heading out into the bush that you know that you've got the best quality stuff to do the job, number one. And number two, you'll be supporting fellow enthusiasts and fellow PHs in, in the process and answers alike. So, yeah, pretty excited about the PH Toolbox. Uh, I'll put a link in the, in the description a little bit later. Not right now. Once we've ironed out all the nooks and crannies and then we'll uh, get going and go live it was meant to be two weeks ago but we've we've hit a bit of a snare and we've hit a bit of a rut so it's taken a little bit longer than expected so um yeah frustrating times but exciting times at the same time so pretty stoked about that cool guys well um yeah so let's chat a little bit about the lockdown discussion as far as the hunting industry is concerned so we went into lockdown and, you know, created a lot of frustration around everything that we've been doing and preparing. I mean, I don't think our hunting industry was preparing for such a season, what we would have had this year. Um, being involved in the shows in Reno and uh, Harrisburg and stuff, I just, the, the the feeling I got from there was that guys were so excited to get out into the dark con continent, whether it be hunting in South Africa, hunting in North Africa, wherever the case may be. But uh, it just, the, the the excitement was there. And I don't know what caused that. Um, I know I know that Trump had a lot to do with it. Um, but yeah, it's, 
it, it, the, the vibe was just magnificent. I mean, it was so awesome to be around when we're seeing guys in Harrisburg, we're seeing guys in, in, in Reno. They were just so excited to get out here and start hunting. And yeah, boom, COVID-19 hit. So I put a lot of things on back hold. And unfortunately for the outfitters that spent a lot of money in the marketing trips leading up to the season, uh, they didn't see their profits come from it. So frustrating. Um, but from a pH side of things, it, it created a little bit of a scare, especially to the guys that relied solely on the hunting and i I tell you why is there, there were a lot of guys that didn't iron out the installments on their backies and houses and all that sort of stuff before this all happened so this came into a little bit to a shock to the system and i'm sure it was like this through most industries but with the hunting side we never we were always just so uncertain on what was actually going to happen and as time passed on we just realized that, you know, the borders weren't going to open anytime soon, especially not this year. Um, actually, I released a little video and I was told to take it down by numerous people and in uh, in the associations that I'm involved with. And they, they said, oh, we can't say these sort of things because it's not true. We don't know yet. We don't know what's going to happen. And I understand that. But, you know, the whole problem through this whole lockdown situation is that uncertainties killed well it's it's left a lot of us with with many many questions and actually we just start creating more and more problems for ourselves so yeah i just i want i didn't want to leave people any hope because every time the president came on to speak we're like holding thumbs please just open the borders let's get this hunting going because we need an income because Without income, we're not going to be able to pay bills and all that sort of stuff. So we, we're going to fall horribly short. And, you know, the financial implications on this whole thing is not now. It's what's to come, you know, and that's the scary part. I mean, I've been involved, very fortunate to be involved in a non-profitable organization within our local area. And we've been out to many, many villages and scenarios where people just can't afford to buy the basic essentials like food and uh, cleaning products and all that sort of stuff and I've seen firsthand on the devastation that now has brought but a little bit later it's just going to get worse and worse and worse so it's scary to think from you know high hopes of a extremely good year to just come crashing down in a couple of weeks and it scared most of us it scared almost everyone and uh yeah, we still we still don't know what's actually happening. Although we have crawled into stage two, the president came on on Saturday night at eight o'clock and uh, announced that we'll be going into level two lockdown. So we 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 officially are one of the longest recorded lockdowns that we've ever had. So uh, yeah, devastating. It's it really is a blow to the system. So, but we're getting there. We've we've just got to try and stay positive and. Um, yeah, just try and keep our heads up. And like I said, and, and I keep saying this, is that the guys need to start creating side hustles. And Because like I said, as an industry, we've just come a little bit complacent and we need to get out of our box and start thinking of new and inventive ways to actually make a little bit more income when the hard times hit. And it's something that <clears throat> I've always asked myself, especially... Uh, 
especially coming towards the end of the season. I've always asked the guys that rely solely on the hunting, how do they get through the tough times when the season's over? What do they do as income and stuff? So it's created a lot of questions around that. How were they doing it in the past? And how how long could they last without you know without an income? So um, I've I've dug deep, and guys have had various different ways from farmers markets to uh, making knives to fixing guns, cleaning guns for other guys. They've always just made a way happen. But now for for the extended period that we've had, it's. I think it's really made their eye, well, they've had to open their eyes a little bit and think a little bit extra out the box because, you know, they've got to create now a sustainable income for long periods of time. So, uh, yeah, I've also I've met a lot of my fellow PHs that have actually applied for full-time jobs now, so they'll be leaving the hunting industry because I've just realized that when things like this happen, it becomes unsustainable to keep going uh, for their family, for their loved ones. So yeah, it's a, it's a very sad situation, especially for our industry to lose good quality PHs as well. And you know, although there's abundance of us out there, there's there's very few that are ethical. There's very few that you know follow the rules. There's very few that um, that do things correctly and. Uh, that are willing to learn, that are willing to teach, um, that are willing to move the industry forward in the correct way, not the wrong way. And uh, I think those are the guys that are falling short because they've relied on their morals and values, and now it's not about that. So a uh, very, very sad situation. But uh, yeah, so just moving on, a couple of other things, just small headline topics that have been happening. Flights from... Johannesburg into the Eastern Cape have stopped from one of our main airlines for rifles. And uh, I know there's been a couple of outfitters hard at work trying to fight the battle and trying to get make sure that guys flying in from, from Johannesburg into the Eastern Cape have got an alternative way of get bringing their guns in. Um, I know guys have gone as far as even organizing chartered flights um, or just doing something basic like keeping enough rifles on the lodges now so that the clients can come in and hire rifles. Um, for me personally, uh, it's a different thing because, you know, when you're coming out for your first safari, don't bring your rifle. Use the lodge rifle. Um, there are lodges out there that really, really look after their rifles and have got probably the best rifles on the market for you to use. So you won't jeopardize your experience any anyhow. So yeah, if you're a first time comer, bring your own well, don't leave your own rifle behind. Come out, use the large rifles, uh, just save yourself the paperwork and just actually relax a little bit and enjoy the experience because that's what it's all about. But if you are coming over and you have been in over numerous amounts of times and you want to shoot a buffalo or you want to do something special with your special rifle by all means bring it out there will always be a plan whether outfitters have got to collect you in johannesburg got to organize your charter flights or whatever it may be don't let that stop you from coming over it's a small little hiccup in the system but we'll figure it out and and i'm, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of 
outfitters that are hard at work sorting these sort of things out so yeah um that's just that's just, i'm just giving you guys a heads up as far as um you know sort of different scenarios and sort of small things small headline news that has been happening in the last couple of months um since yeah since lockdown um yeah, and as far as job loss is concerned, we've seen a numerous amount of uh, trackers, PHs, like I said, mentioned earlier. Uh, it's actually decreased incredibly. I mean, it's, or sorry, increased incredibly. I didn't think, although the farming sector was part of the essential service, I didn't think jobs would be um, scarce anymore. So I thought there would be an abundance of work for the guys, but yet we've seen that trackers and PHs uh, farm managers and those sort of things being laid off and it's just due to the economy times it's it's tough out there and uh everyone's got to try and make or save a little bit of money wherever possible so yeah uh just in my area alone i think it's in it's uh the job loss has increased by just over three percent as far as the farming sector is concerned so uh yeah that's a little bit of a worrying stat but hopefully hopefully when things pick up again next year um, we can go out and actually, you know, the guys can start getting their jobs back and start working again and doing what we love. Okay, guys, cool. So into the main part of this whole series that I've tried, I'm, what I'm going to try and do is highlight like main factors within our industry and discuss them with you and give you the actual what's actually happening out there to uh, what's being perceived. And the South African hunting industry is one of those industries where you we, we, we give some sort of uh, false hope or false expectation that have been coming out of the industry. And for my first topic and for the first part of this series, um, it's happened now recently. It happened to me last year as well was the discussion around certain animals as far as whether they're ethical, legal, um, or why should we hunt them or why shouldn't we hunt them. And obviously, um, in these times, uh, there's a lot of different reasons. So I'm going to give you the basic um, reason reasoning behind it on your everyday or when the market wasn't as screwed up as it is now to what COVID-19 has created. So, I'm um, talking about the giraffe and the zebra. So, <clears throat> last year I hunted a beautiful giraffe, and I've always been very, uh, how can I say, I've always played it safe how I've posted it or, or relayed it on social media. And due to one of the factors that there's a certain there's a certain group of people that dislike that fact. And yes, it is true. The giraffe have, are on part of the endangered species. But as far as the South African population is concerned, they're thriving. They really, really are. In our area alone, I can tell you now, there's probably more on three or four game farms that I know. There's probably more than 50 to 100 giraffe. And... Any common sense coming out of this whole thing, you would understand that on privately owned land, it's unsustainable to have so many giraffe. 
And the best and the most affordable way to manage these herds is by hunting them. Now, a lot of the PHs and a lot of the outfitters jump on the bandwagon and say, yeah, yeah, but we're feeding the community, we're feeding the villages, and we're doing all these sort of things. Although part of it is true, a lot of it isn't true. There is a financial gain solely for the PH or solely for the outfitter, whoever it may be. And the reasoning for that is when we build up these numbers, like I said, we have to manage them and we put a cost on them. So a giraffe costs a landowner X amount per hectare of grazing or uh, feed or salt licks and all that sort of stuff. So the farmer needs to gain that back. Otherwise, it's not worth him having it. And like I said in a couple of my comments where us as human beings, especially in South Africa, because in South Africa, I think I think there was a stat. I must actually, I'll, I'll have to Google it or research it, where I think it's 95% of our land is privately owned in South Africa. 85, sorry, 85% of our land is privately owned in South Africa. So for our private landowners that want to sustain our magnificent wildlife, we have to get something back. Otherwise, it's not worth us keeping all this land and we turn it into crop and feed as many people as possible. And even me, or even myself, and I'm sure you guys at home know that that's even more unsustainable than anything else. So what happens is... I'm talking now about South Africa. The northern countries, Tanzania, those sort of stuff, they still work under the concessions. And uh, as far as I know, they get managed through um, they get managed through the government and all that meat belongs to the land, well, belongs to the villages and that. So that happens. That that really happens. Elephants, uh, numerous amounts of animals. If you hunt them there, the meat belongs to the villagers, which is great. That's fantastic. Where it differs here in South Africa is because we've got private landowners. Yes, there are some some outfitters out there, if not most of them, that do donate meat to uh, communities, villages, surrounding villages, wherever the staff may be working. So it is a community thing. They do donate meat. But for that specific, specific giraffe, it's not always the case. They do sell the meat on to provide financial recruitment, getting financial gains back for it for them to keep that animal on their ranch. And it's been a difficult conversation to have, but I think especially especially with all the movements that are happening out there now, we need to start having these difficult conversations. And for me, it's extra difficult because it puts my job in, in jeopardy because a lot of outfitters don't want people to have that perspective. Oh, no, 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 listen, it doesn't actually go to villages. Although there are, I mean, there's numerous numerous amounts of meat that actually gets donated to villages to stop them poaching, to feed the hunger problem and all that sort of stuff. They do, they really do. And don't get me wrong, there's some magnificent outfitters out there that do really good work in the community. I mean, just last week I saw there was, in these trying times, it's so difficult, it's, People are so um, financially uh, unsure of what's actually happening. There's still outfitters out there donating the soccer fields and um, putting money back into schools. There's been a lot of clients that have donated stuff. So, you know, it is a community thing still. 
before the basic thing of this whole giraffe hunting story is we need to hunt them to keep the animals around. It's been the best conservation tool in South Africa that we have ever had. And I don't care who else is out there that can argue this fact differently. I don't see it happening. Um, you look at the Kruger, you look at the big reserves, they've even got to call their numbers down to make sure that they can have a sustainable ecosystem within the means of the land. So it's, like I said, it's a difficult topic to have and to discuss, but it needs to happen. And people need to be made aware that not all the animals that they hunt always goes to the villages. Most of it does. You know, there are, um, you know, just from our hunting experiences, when we hunt hippo on the Fish River, it purely states that that hippo belongs to the villagers. And, I mean, I've seen it on numerous amounts of times when you go and hunt these fi these hippo down at the fish, guys come down with axes and pungas and saws and whatever to just get their fair share of meat. So it does happen in South Africa, but it doesn't happen always. And probably about 60% of the time, when you see a giraffe getting hunted, is to protect that species. Transporting is becoming immensely dangerous for the animal, number one. And number two is becoming extremely costly. And you've already put a cost on the animal per hectare. To go and add an extra transport cost, just it makes that animal un, unfinancially stain, sustainable to keep him. And that's just one of the... How can I say the that's just one of the things, the terms that we've had to come to to realize that in order for us to keep these animals around, they're gonna have to be hunted. And there are guys I I'm one of them that enjoy hunting giraffe. I've never shot one myself. I enjoy hunting them with clients. I I think it just adds a different challenge. It's one of the most iconic animals in the African continent. And it, they're just beautiful. And what better way to look after the herd by feeding a couple of miles, looking after the farmer and putting a smile onto, you know, your client's face. It sounds barbaric and it sounds, for the guys that are listening, it probably sounds, especially the liberals, it sounds like this evil thing that needs to happen. But if you are true if you live by all the means of a true triaga, you wouldn't be doing most of the things that you are doing right now. If you if you paint, you wouldn't paint on paper. You would paint on ethically grown canvas out of the Amazon rainforest or whatever it may be, something ridiculous as that. We We, we need to understand that us as humans, we've created this problem. And now in order for us to... We'll never be able to fix it, but in for order uh, for us to sustain it, to sustain the beautiful animals that we've got on this continent, so that they don't go extinct, so that we don't lose numbers, so that we don't give in to poaching and stuff. We've got to understand that this is probably the best way to conserve them and preserve them and look after them. And 
I've just got a little daughter now. She's mm, probably about a year and a half now. <laughs> my wife will kill me if she found out. I don't know how old my daughter is. But yeah, she's a year and a half. And I need to understand that I'm preserving these animals for her one day. If she can't, if she can't share, if she can't understand why I was so passionate about hunting and passionate about the outdoors and the love for animals, then myself as a hunter, I failed. And this is the conversation we need to have: is we we need to we are obligated as hunters to preserve, conserve, do things ethically, and look after the animals we love. And if you don't do that, and if you don't love the animals that you hunt, well then, I'm sorry to say, but you are just one of the very, very few that are out there that actually don't belong in this industry and shouldn't be a part of it. We're finding more and more that, guys, this is a conversation for another episode, but we're just finding more and more that the animal population is becoming extremely under pressure, especially when you bring up the lions, the rhinos, all that sort of stuff, the really sensitive stuff, and you bring those sort of things up, and it's we, we are pressurized to do things unethically to try and save as much of the species as possible. It's not fair on us. It really isn't fair on us for some big cats to be sitting up in high, um, high places in in an industry that actually don't even know, um, especially to be determined by tree huggers that aren't willing to listen and understand why we do what we do. And that's why I say the more the more we try and have these hard conversations and put the truth out there, the easier it is going to be for everyone to start understanding one another's objections and uh, understanding one another's goals and where we see ourselves in the next couple of years. So, guys, it's just I'm probably going to watch this back and just think that I've been waffling on for the last. But, but my end, my end goal out of this whole thing is that I, I don't want to convert anyone and say, "Listen, I need you to believe in hunting." That's not my job. My job is to do things ethically. My job is to preserve and conserve animals that I love and to hunt the animals I love because we know that as as far as conservation is concerned hunting is the best tool and if there's anyone that wants to challenge me on that please I would love to hear your opinion hit me up in the DMs hit me up in the comments wherever the case may be I really just want to hear your guys side because there's two sides to this whole thing I can't expect you to understand if I'm not willing to understand as well. So, yeah, guys, as far as the difficult subjects concerned, and uh, especially for the first for the first episode in my series back, is um, we need to understand that giraffe, zebra, um, they've all got their place in the industry. They've all got their place on this planet, and we need to know that conserving and preserving them is is on the top of our agenda and uh yeah that's just the reasoning behind it and uh please guys don't um don't go out there and mix my words up and say oh no no hunters don't donate meat or 
the the villagers never see the meat and stuff. It's not like that. I I can almost guarantee you that ninety percent of the surrounding villages, um, the surrounding villages of of a game lodge or uh, of a reserve or wherever it may be, receive meat constantly. I promise you that now. I've seen it firsthand, and just myself this year has donated probably about four or five different carcasses that's excluding all the other stuff uh the new you know the the nutrients and all that sort of stuff that comes with it like the bones and the stomach and heart liver all that sort of stuff that's excluding that so there really is for instance the giraffe carcass would stretch a very very long way but unfortunately majority of it has got to go to covering the cost of the animal the other stuff inside there really does go back to the villages. The other stuff surrounding it really does go back to the villages. And it's it's a great animal to eat. Um, I've had a lot of giraffe in my, in my time. It's really, it's a unique taste, it's something special. Yeah, so uh, basically that's just where I want to end off on this whole thing is, although you'll see us posting pictures of us standing behind giraffe and big smiles on our face it's it really is number one from a hunter it's an accomplishment number two from a hunting conservation story it's it is really rewarding to know that you're doing your part in the circle of life that we have manufactured not any hunter hunting group not any anti-hunting group us as humans have manufactured as far as land invasion is concerned overpopulation um, and just devastating the ecosystems that we are meant to be sharing with these animals so we've had to recreate the circle of life to protect and look after the remaining numbers that are on this earth so yeah guys that's basically just everything in a nutshell Um, I'm sure those of you that have been over to South Africa and Africa you guys have all got your different versions of what has happened to your carcasses if you have hunted a giraffe or you've seen a giraffe being hunted. And uh, like I said, it's not like this all over the show. Just the few numbers that I've been involved with, this is really how it works. And I'm pretty sure there's a couple of the guys there that are going to be upset with me revealing this. But, you know, at the end of the day, there needs, like I said, there needs to be some sort of understanding for one another. And... I just think by us making that the hunting industry is a little bit more understood makes it easier for us to to keep doing what we do. Um, yeah, guys, so that's it for me. Nice little 40-minute episode. Um, I'm so stoked to be back. Thank you to everyone that supported me on this journey. Um, it's been frustrating. It really has, trust me. I've, I've been wanting to get on the road and... Uh, do as much podcasting with guests as as possible but thanks to COVID thanks to um, our reception network in Africa not being the greatest it's it's put a lot of that on hold and although I've got all the excuses in the rule book um, I don't want to use them and I'm back out here and doing what I'm doing Um, yeah so guys if you haven't yet uh, hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel um 
it really goes a long way and like i said just stay tuned to follow me on instagram follow me on twitter facebook um i will be launching my website pretty soon and i'm pretty stoked about it and uh yeah exciting times so i'll catch you guys up next sunday um i will hopefully be having a guest in the coming weeks um where we will discuss a little bit more of the sensitive topics but also just having a little bit of fun on the on the podcast um yeah so from myself dylan love um i'm out have stay safe Happy hunting if you're hunting. To the Americans, I know the season is not too far away, so hang in there. We're almost there. Um, yeah, guys, and just a reminder, if um, if you come across any one of my posts supporting our farmers, please just hit the share. Um, it's not there to create any financial uh, gain or publicity. It's just purely there to spread awareness and show my love and support to the farmers. Condolences to the families, and um, yeah, so... Stay safe, happy hunting, and we'll catch up with you guys.